everyone. Welcome, nerdy knights of the well-rounded table aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan learner Sarah O'Connor, the queen of queries and defender of those droids. And we are back with part three of our Ezra Bridger character study, The Lost Wolf. Now, before we dive in, let's get a check-in with the rest of our nerdy knights that we have here today at the well-rounded table. Hello there. I'm Jedi Ooh. Master and Rebel Scum collaborator Colleen McMillan. And I am Pirate Jedi and member of Hondo Anaka's crew, Andrew Stroh. <laughs> of course he is. Yes. And, oh, yeah. and that <laughs> After didn't last take time long. I was like, definitely. Yeah, that didn't take long from you to like peace out like Ahsoka, but go like the complete other way. And so clearly, you know, dear listener, as was just proven by Anders, we run the gambit here in terms of rank from Padawan to Master, but no matter your rank or where you fall in the galaxy, one thing remains the same, much to learn we still have. Now, last time on Bohemian Geek Studies, we started exploring Colleen's absolutely amazing essay on Ezra Bridger, part two. So now welcome to part three on how his character develops increasingly from strong empathic connections throughout the entire story. As a friendly reminder, her thesis is based around the poem Loth Rat, Loth Cat, Loth Wolf Run, Pick a Path, and All is Done. Now, last time we explored his character from the stage of Loth Cat, and today we are concluding with the Loth Wolf stage, which mostly covers season four of Rebels. Like parts one and two of this episode, it's spoiler-filled for all four seasons of Rebels and beyond. So if you haven't gone to ro watch Rebels yet, I'm surprised you're here with us, but thank you. That's very flattering. <laughs> or if you haven't listened to part one or two of this character study, we suggest that you go please listen to them and come back with us to enjoy part three with us later. If you have enjoyed all those things, then grab your favorite drink from the cantina and prepare to relax and unwind as we engage your mind. So you all ready, well-rounded table? Heck yes. Go for it. All right, Colleen, well then, punch it. All right, everybody. We're back with Ezra, of course, and in Rebels' final season, season four. This season deals with Ezra's main familial relationships, which fits really nicely in with the final stage of his emotional journey. Filled with new motivation, Ezra is able to focus on his family and how to keep them together as they attempt to save Lothal. The Loth wolf closely resembles an earth wolf, like pretty close, except they're friggin' massive. They're huge, like you could ride them like a horse. And they have a few body dissimilarities and of course have the cool facial markings that Sarah has yes. lovingly painted on for us today. They also happen to have a really deep connection to the Force, so they are Force-sensitive creatures and have a sentience level above a lot of the other creatures. They behave much like Earth Wolves, though. They travel in social packs, they work together as a team, and they're an integral part of the planet's ecosystem. But while Ezra is in his final stage at this point, he doesn't actually see a Loth Wolf until later in the season. First, he must bring Sabine back to the pack. She had been gone on Mandalore, trying to get some Mandalorian business done. And this is, we've talked about this a little bit before, through the series, Ezra's had this huge crush on Sabine, who is his fellow Spectre, she's Spectre 5. But in season four, he seems to have moved past that and into a deeper connection with her. 
thank goodness i was so happy that they that they did that i mean like watching the flirt like the awkward flirting and stuff in those earlier seasons was cringy it was funny it's kind of cringy but in a good way yeah but i've also i'm always on board when a show takes in what most cases would be this like obvious romantic pairing and does something different with it does mm-hmm. that a deep friendship with someone that you would yeah. otherwise be attracted to i think yeah. those are somewhat lacking in a lot of places for sure i'm really happy harry and hermione never got together yes yep so happy they should not should not have been together whatsoever i i do ship ezra and sabine but only when they're older because i think it would take a really long time for them to be in the same place emotionally for a relationship <laughs> like maybe this five years gap was just what ezra needed to like really mature emotionally that's in maybe order that's to what he was talking to thrawn about all right how do i, how do I ask her out <laughs> yeah how do i how do i deal with chicks and thrawn's like oh my god <laughs> We talked about this like five times yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I know need that show now. I don't know which way I prefer it. I do love how their relationship is portrayed in season four. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. it's so strong, and the trust level and the mutual respect mm-hmm. is is just so wonderful that I'm glad that that was the focus when it could have been an uh like easy trope way of just having sabine become this i don't know ethereal art goddess crushed thing instead of mutual partner in rebellion movement which i think is so so much better Mm -hmm. yeah so bringing us back to the where we were in the story um Ezra is willing to kind of put Lethal on the back burner for a minute to go help Sabine rescue her father. Uh, He starts taking her lead. You know, season three was when he had really started to take command of things, but because Sabine is just as confident, if not more so, than Ezra is when it comes to leading a mission, um, especially back on Mandalore he willingly starts to let go of that control and he's putting that trust in Sabine to make the right decisions and is very proud to serve alongside her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their bond gets tested again a little bit more when they encounter Saw Gerrera. Um, The rebel malcontent is obsessed with finding out what the Empire is up to, which is building the Death Star. Um, But he can't really put all the pieces together. So frustrated that the rebellion has put the attack on Lothal on hold again, even after he was willing to do the same thing, Ezra believes Saw may may have a point and that the rebels should be more aggressive. They should just be willing to get out there, not worry about political ramifications Mm -hmm. and be aggressive. Um, Kanan reminds Ezra that, again, we talked about this last episode, how they choose to fight is truly what matters. Mm -hmm. Which, I totally philosophically agree with, but, but Sagarera makes an excellent point, and there was a similar excellent point raised in the show Community, where, for example, Betty White is teaching the class on, I think, anthropology and or ethics, or maybe it's anthropology and how Mm -hmm. ethics tie together, and she has this, like, box of seven different things 
and the class is supposed to create something that benefits society in some way. And the lead pro protagonist for this episode, who's supposed to like do the tropey, like swoony boy who like stumbles but gets it right in the end, is just like, you know what? The thing that really is supposed to get us together is friendship, and that can't be put in a box. Meanwhile, Betty White is putting together like this huge weapon, and she just aims it at him and is just like, <laughs> sure hope that friendship is a good shield for you then. And that's kind of similar to how Saw Gerrera talks and Ezra and Sabine mm. watch on this idea of like, I hope your ideals are a comfort for you when exploitative mm. hits the, the fan. Yeah, and so I think, you know, Saw Gerrera is a completely different character study, but I wonder when Saw Gerrera, quote unquote, kidnaps them, he technically gives yes, Ezra a choice. And <laughs> yeah. Ezra, he doesn't say like, no, put me back on the ship with mom and dad. He's just like, nah, I'm gonna go with crazy and uncle Sabine. Saw Gerrera. Like, Sabine let's, too. Yeah, both of them are just like, all right, let's see what happens. Let's see, let's see what this other side looks like a bit. Mm -hmm. Right, and I think that that's, I think that that's a really interesting point. And it's, I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, it's kind of like, it's, it's a bit of a tropey thing that like, they still get what they need out of mm -hmm. the saw mission yes out of with his tactics and it's you're like right. the trophy thing that there's always that one character who's like damn your morals whatever we have to do whatever it takes to win and they'll mm -hmm. somehow they'll end up blowing something up or they have a plan to do something big or whatever and we may stop them from doing the the really 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 bad thing but usually do end up benefiting from what they did yes so that you can come in with your morals in the end and give like the inspirational speech yeah you need oh, the right. loose cannon in order for a mon mothma's kind of more civilized approach to rebellion in order for it to work and kind of if only it. there were real life examples that we could look to and then portray in stories to learn mm. lessons about life <laughs> If only, if only there was some sort of rebellion that I could look to. It's, and so I guess it is this interesting philosophical point that we can talk about whether or not Saw and others, right? We, mm -hmm. There are all valid points to their points and it becomes this, I don't know, dare I say force-like balance of how how do you move but with hopefully as Ezra would want to do, benefiting life. Because like, it's, it's just, it's almost always after someone ends up doing like almost the most terrible thing that yeah. almost rips the balance just enough. And like, usually there's like, thank you Kanan for being the mentor for coming to save or like, to jump completely into a different galaxy universe. Like, thank you, Snape, for preventing Harry from killing Draco, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it it's it's an interesting it's an interesting balance thing that's that's worth a philosophical yeah. discussion. Mm -hmm. But I digress. So so Ken and or Sabine and Ezra are on that mission with Saw. They realize that his methods are less than noble. Um, they want to rescue the scientists who were imprisoned by the Empire, while Saw is just adamant that the mission is key, finding this giant kyber crystal um, and ultimately sabotaging it. So Saw says he's willing to do whatever it takes, 
and Ezra, starting to reflect some of that wisdom back from Canaan, says, what about doing what's right? Isn't that what the war is, is about? So you can almost see Yoda picking up his head with the ears, being like, oh, do I hear that? Sabine and Ezra ultimately work together to get the scientists to safety, and their actions convince the scientists to enlist in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Again, I wish though, they'd they got over with them the, more that they got yeah. the scientists, because that I'm sure was very yeah. integral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, we we talked about Saw's points versus the the Hera stance versus other stance, but we can't deny that without Saw, they would not have the intelligence on the Kyber crystal. And it would have been delivered to the Death Star, possibly causing it to be done sooner before the mm-hmm. events of Rogue One. So, ooh, he's a good character. He's a yeah. good, good character. Mm-hmm. You need the gray characters, otherwise, there's no, there's yeah. no like little interesting points. Like that's why Thrawn, I think, is so great because he's that morally gray person on the Empire side. If it's just Palpatine and Vader eviling up the galaxy and Tarkin also, who's a complete and utter dish, just like you need that kind of balance within even the antagonist side. Otherwise, it's just not as compelling. Yep. What about the rest of the season, Colleen? Oh, yep. We should get back to that, shouldn't we? The rest <laughs> of the season takes place on Lothal. Yay, finally. Yep. Finally getting back to Lothal. Uh, the rebels are trying to liberate the planet and the people. Uh, here we go. Our boy. Our boy's back. Ezra's friendships with Hondo, Onaka, and Vizago, the smuggler that's been kind of throughout the season, has come in, come into play yet again. They help the rebels land on Lothal and escape from Imperial Notice. Huge, because there's a huge blockade around the planet. It's nearly impossible to get in. And then we have another face from Ezra's past. His name is Jaikel. He was an Imperial cadet that Ezra helped save. And then he returns the favor here, getting Sabine and Ezra out of a tough situation. So if it looks like Ezra's friends are coming forward, that's exactly what is happening. All that positive karma finally coming back. The empathy he showed for all of these people. Mm-hmm, you're damn right. Or the yep. win. Making those also friendships. Really good, uh, it's a good testament to Filoni's story, like peppering those people throughout mm-hmm. and then bring, doing that callback. Absolutely. Yep. yep. You need all these side characters in order to come help because then you're like, well, who are all these random people helping them with the rebellion? We've never met them. But yep. now we get to have all these returning faces and it's really fun. So we're coming back again to this just Ezra's innate ability to make people like him and trust him. And this is basically what makes the siege on Lothal possible, makes the entire season possible, really. Like in the next episode, this one is one of my favorite parts. They're kind of on a little stakeout, and it's Zeb and Ezra, and they're just covered in loath cats <laughs> because they like Ezra. They're like drawn to Ezra's energy, and yeah. they like Zeb too because Zeb is very cat like, so he's just covered in these mm-hmm. loath cats. And Ezra's like, I don't know what to tell you, they just like me. And then they even help out on the mission without being asked. Like they go and attack some Imperial soldiers without Ezra even having to ask them to do it. <laughs> They're just like, oh, this looks like trouble. Let's go and take out these Imperial soldiers. And like, this just reminds me back in season one when he couldn't even connect with one Lothcat. Ezra had so much trouble just doing that once. And now here, he's like, I don't even have to tell him what to do. <laughs> They're just helping. 
It's true. And I mean, it's wonderful to see when he absolutely shines, but there are still times where Ezra is harboring doubt and despair. He mm -hmm. definitely fears for Lethal's future and their chance of successfully liberating the people. And Sabine reminds Ezra of his own words in times of doubt. Quote, so long as we're together, we've got a chance. I love that quote. Ezra's taking inspiration from Sabine, going back to their teamwork now, tells everyone that rebellion starts small and that a few people standing together, all of those people, all of that karma building can make a huge, huge impact. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as though drawn by Ezra's call for camaraderie and fighting to take back Lothal, the white Lothwolf makes its first appearance. Oh! <laughs> it's gotta be the white one too. It's gotta be the white one. We're skipping over the other ones. We're getting right to the white one. Um, though it distracts Ezra, the white wolf signals that Ezra's final transformation is beginning. Ezra's connection to the planet um, call, is what called the wolf, and he sees the white loath cat too. Both animals growl at the imperial ships in the sky, showing the planet's discontent and growing imbalance. Yeah. Both a call for conservation and a clue to the series' final moments, the loath wolves remind Ezra what he's fighting for. And wolf and cat readily help Ezra and Sabine escape the imperials that are on their tails, but the wolf doesn't tell Ezra why he's helping. Um, but we get that feeling that the wolf has marked Ezra as Lethal's chosen one. And I really like the detail that they put in here. The, um, they make a comment about how Loth wolves like, haven't been seen in generations or something like that. So it's almost like they were lying in wait, ready to appear when most needed, or waiting for someone who could potentially be that kind of chosen one savior. Yeah, I can't remember which episode it was, but I think it was maybe five or six, somewhere between five and eight, where Ezra is the one who says the Lothwolves has, haven't been seen for generations. And he almost like blinks back and is like, I think I'm seeing Lothwolves, but that just does not make any sense at all until all of a sudden I think it's coming up behind Sabine and he and Sabine are together and is like, holy fork. Um, that's a loth wolf <laughs> and the loth wolf just like breathes some breath on Sabine for her to go to sleep and yep. she passes out that's yeah. that's the scene which I think is so so cool so I had originally asked Jedi Master Colleen if that was my understanding but like I literally did just watch that is there anything else Colleen that you can think of from a history hmm. standpoint with the loth wolf that I mean, we should be we see up. we see the cave paintings eventually of the loth wolves mm -hmm. yes. helping people probably the natives of the planet because i'm sure a lot of people who are on lothal now aren't native specifically and wouldn't have seen the loth wolves yeah i just think the wolves they didn't need to be around until now there wasn't like mass industrialization their habitats yeah. were protected there was a lot of farming but it wasn't too extreme like the planet was in balance and I think the Jedi temple being there kind of helped that. But now that the empire has moved in and has been basically destroying the planet, the Loth wolves are restless. Yeah. And once the Imperials start to try and break into the temple, that's, that's when the wolves hell no, no. really yeah, start no, no. because it's like, that's like the world between worlds nexus is there, I think. 
they're like the, the guard dogs. guardians yep. yeah they're like they're yeah. like a cerberus sitting there waiting for somebody to come so cool. try and break in it. it's like Ooh, really interesting it. connection i, I hadn't it. thought about that as mm. And it's kind of weird because it's like guardians. the gate to instead of like the gates to hell or whatever, it's just the gates to the underworld or the in between world. I think yeah, would be good for the wolves to be. Prepared. I would. I I think the in between worlds. I mean, that is what it's called. It it's what makes the most sense because it is almost as if someone is removing themselves from their mortal cor- coils. Mm-hmm. It's where Ahsoka is both alive and dead at the same time. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. So the Lilith Wolves next lead Ezra and the Spectres out of mm-hmm. another scrape. And the White Wolf really stands out here amongst the Brown Pack members. He leads the group into a large cave system and shows an ability that so far is unique in Star Wars. The Wolves can force walk through time and space. And so they might be, I mean, they could be something like World Between Worlds or whatever, but... Um, they are traversing very long distances from um, where the, from where the group started, specifically the entire opposite hemisphere of the planet. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Thousands and thousands of miles. So cool. Almost out of nowhere. Kane <laughs> suspects that the wolves have a deep focused connection to the force and that they are somehow channeling the planet's energy to do this. He believes the wolves have chosen them not just because they're Jedi, but because they're the only ones who can save Lebel. Mm-hmm. Kanan says to Ezra, quote, I have a feeling the TIE Defender isn't the worst thing the Empire is doing here. Dun, dun, dun. Yep, yep, yep. Um, here's our loaf cat. Duncan is making his weekly come here babe (laughs) come here babe you can sit down here he loves attention he's definitely a loath cat that wants all of the attention getting back to Kanan of course he's right but unfortunately the wolves appearance also marks the end or the beginning of the end of Kanan's arc it's fine I will not cry nope Mm -mm. not gonna do it because I did not watch Jedi Knight before doing this episode I did Ooh, and I can't believe you did because I would be a mess. Um, whispering his true name, which is Doom. Caleb Doom is Kanan's real name. The wolf, white wolf whispers this to him. And it kind of shows Kanan that his life might be nearing its end. And that it's time to let Ezra step up and lead. And like I said before, in the season four episode, Jedi Knight, Kanan needs Ezra to be comfortable making decisions and being the leader. While Ezra doesn't sense what Kanan has sensed, he forms the plan to rescue Hera, who was just captured the episode prior, and Kanan made sure that Ezra made the plan because he wasn't thinking straight enough to make a good, coherent plan. Ezra, this is one of my favorites, ever the one for ingenious yet insane plans, decides that they'll fashion gliders to look like another of our little Lothal creatures, the Loth Bat. Love it. Giant oversized bat creatures to infiltrate the Imperial base. I love like, those shots of them, like the silent glides. They're mm-hmm. just really, really cool. And so, the yeah, lack right. of sound is mm-hmm. really ratchets up the tension. And yep. of course the Imperials don't even notice. Yep. Because they're just like, whatever, it's nature and creatures and we don't pay attention to nature and creatures, <laughs> which will also become very important later on. <laughs> so this is Kanan. He's so proud right now. He actually praises Ezra on his ability to listen. <laughs> Showing that Ezra has come so far since their first meeting and during their training when Kanan was always on him about focusing. Like, yep. you can't focus. What is wrong with you? But now he's 
finally learned enough to listen and take command. The last thing Kanan actually says to Ezra is, quote, may the force be with you. Giving Ezra the things he really needs, love and respect. And I've always said, like, may the force be with you when you say it to certain people does mean, like, I love you or I care about you. And I feel like Dunk is yowling that as well. It, that's not Duncan. I believe that is a child outside of my apartment <laughs> oh, building. No. Also yelling because he knows what is going to happen next. Uh, this is the hardest part in all of Rebels. Kanan dies, mm. sacrificing himself, protecting Ezra, Hera, and Sabine. Yep. He gives his life while holding back this immense explosion, like huge, huge explosion with the force. It's like, holy crap, we have not seen Kanan use this level of power ever. Didn't really know he had it in him, to be fair. But he holds back this explosion, allowing them to escape. And this sacrifice sets up Ezra for his second greatest challenge of the show. And lightsabers and ones up way the frick up for Kanan. I almost feel like he had been shoring up energy for at least that week leading up to it based on kind of body language and some of the verbal cues he was giving. It was as if he was meditating for this moment. Mm -hmm. I think ever since seeing the wolves, he kind of was like, something's about to happen. Yeah. Especially yeah. when I brought up his true name. He's like, yeah. something's about to go down. I don't know for certain if I will have to do what I have to do, but something is coming. Yeah. I feel, I feel I read him as more certain than that, but that's one of the things that I love about Star Wars is that there are subtle different readings that, that you yeah. can get. But what isn't subtle, Colleen, is Ezra's despair. Can uh, you tell us about uh, uh, Yeah, our poor dude. Our poor buddy. I mean, upon returning to the base, Ezra says, quote, you didn't prepare me for this, Kanan. What do I do now? And sensing this anguish and fear, the white wolf appears and growls at Ezra, who's really confused. Ezra's like, what? I don't know what's going on. He runs away, which was his MO when he was younger in his loath brat stage. he, He ran away. Before he had Kanan and his family. He he doesn't realize what the wolves are trying to do here. They're trying to like jam him out of this funk, out of this Mm -hmm. unfocused mindset. I mean, there isn't time right now to collapse into grief. The planet needs help. And now that Kanan's gone, Ezra's really the only one who can do it. The Loth wolves are very Boromir right now, right? Like, on top of the mountain, Boromir's just like, oh, no, 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 Boromir wants to give him time to grieve, and who was it? Gandalf's Aragorn. like, no, Aragorn. yeah. Aragorn. We gotta move. And they're just like, move along, move along. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yes. right. No, it's after Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. after yeah. Gandalf dies. Yep. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. The, the wolves are definitely Aragorn in this situation. Yeah, this <laughs> like, kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Like, we're sad yeah. too, but we need, we have to get some shit done right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both all needs him. The temple needs him. So Ezra yells at them, <laughs> yells at the wolves. He's fighting the connection with them. But then he admits he has no idea where to go. Without Kanan to guide him, he loses himself here for a moment. But this isn't like regular people. A moment for a Jedi can last an eon. So he stares off into the distance, unsure how to return to the base, and he recites the poem. <laughs> Quote, loath rat, loath cat, loath wolf run. Pick a path and all is done. Yes. But now it's time for him to actually choose the path. 
Like, will mm -hmm. he listen to these inner demons and fall into darkness that he's kind of edging towards right now? Or will he hear this distant call of the light that's coming to him through the wolves? Just in this moment, kind of where he's on the precipice of just giving up entirely, an even bigger loath wolf shows up. Just like enormous. <laughs> enormous. This is like maybe Bendu sized, maybe a little mm -hmm. smaller, but on the same kind of size level as the Bendu. He appears in front of Ezra, just radiating this force energy. And it speaks to him. It claims to be doom. Possibly, I would say most definitely, Kanan's will manifesting itself through the Force, which we also yes. have not seen done ever before. What an intimidating no. name, though. Like, doom. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's D-U-M-E, <laughs> but it sounds like D-O-O. Yeah, and he never exactly tells Ezra how he spells mm -hmm. his name, to be fair. Yeah. It's not... Mm -mm. Like, it was never a spelling lesson. <laughs> no. Yeah. Mm -mm. And also, this moment was just so incredible to see. It was like, it was that amazing callback moment again, like you said, reciting the poem. And actually, when I last rewatched it, it was, I was like, something was nagging at me. And I was like, I swear I remember there being like a scene where he's out there and he's reciting the, that poem actually more like a mantra, just like a lot calmer, a lot more steady. And it's like he's showing himself up to make that choice. I did finally figure it out. It was played over the trailer for season four before yeah. it came out. They had that audio of Ezra doing that, cluing everybody in that this was going to be very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I read it similar, Enders. I, I have nothing further to add to that excellent point. Just like, yep, it's time. It's finally freaking time to actually That's... choose what you're going to do. So Doom, he's trying to refocus the, the young Padawan here because Ezra still is just learning. He's only 19. I mean, he doesn't have everything that he needs quite yet. Right. He tells Ezra that he's running from his duty. Ezra says he didn't mean to run, but without Kanan, he feels lost, which is very understandable. Kanan actually cared about him, and he was there for him when no one else was. Ezra hasn't learned to stand on his own yet. He he's done really well, but Kanan was always there to back him up. And this is the classic hero's journey moment where the mentor falls. And the mentor always has to fall, whether it's Dumbledore or Gandalf or any See, I'm going to write a book where the mentor doesn't fall. I Iron doesn't fall. He just hero, gets locked up for a while. Can't, hero can't rise. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they could be taken out of the picture too. They could yeah, just be captured. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. be a little bit less Disney about it, Colleen. Jeez Louise. <laughs> That's just Disney. <laughs> You're like guillotining everyone. You're like, if there's a mentor, they're gone. <laughs> they usually are. They're usually dead. Almost always are. That's it's how like you in, stand on your own. Yeah, in Aragon too, Brom is gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're very good about eliminating both parents and any sort of teacher Jeez. that yes. the main hero has. Because otherwise, at least in, within the trope of the hero's journey, the hero can't rise to their well, own. We have to fix that because I'm sick of good people dying. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I could have done without Kanan dying for sure. Exactly. So many tears cried. <laughs> so here, this part was really interesting too because, of course, the Jedi always talk about fear. Doom says the word fear, like just so succinctly. And Ezra's like, yep, I'm afraid. He says, quote, everything seems so hopeless now, which he had not been saying. He had been full of hope and thinking that everything was going to be okay. But Doom isn't here to coddle Ezra. I mean, this is kind of like Kanan's harder personality coming out because Kanan 
was a person who would emotionally connect with Ezra, would hug him, yeah. would be there for him. Doom can't do that. He has to be the disciplinarian. He has to be the one to say, nope, nope, you have to fight. But you're not alone. You must fight together. It's like, you're not alone. Hitting that point, again, Ezra, you're not alone. Kanan may be gone, but you have plenty of other people who love you and who care about you and who will stand with you. Yeah. So this finally re- reawakens Ezra a little bit because he knows how to fight together with his family. Like, yes, finally, this is getting you through. Get to do it. Yes. Yes, you can do it. He's willing to protect the Jedi Temple, which Doom has basically told him he needs to do. Ezra asks why the temple is so important. Like, what's in there? Like, he knows kind of what's in there, but for the Loth Wolves to have come out, this has to be something huge. And Doom actually says kind of what's in there. Another shocking turn from a Jedi actually saying something that's in there. It's still cryptic, but he says, quote, knowledge, destruction, which are, could be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Knowledge can equal destruction. Which sounds exactly like the other holocron. Mm -hmm. Yes. Still a little cagey, but at least he said something. Some Jedi would be like... Much there is to see inside. Exactly. And then disappear (laughs) like in a puff of Jedi smoke. At least the wolf is kind of coming around with something. So once again, as Anders said, this brings experiences of the Sith Temple with Maul back into focus. The temple reflects what the person brings inside with them. Doom says that Ezra must restore the past and redeem the future. So then with this new mission, Ezra's ready to fight for Lothal's spiritual future. Finally, he got there. Doom leaves Ezra a tablet depicting some very, very familiar Clone Wars figures. Yes, the Mortis. Mm-hmm. We're shout outs to you, Bo. <laughs> Here comes the Mortis arc. <laughs> yeah. So once Ezra is ready to go back on that journey to the temple, he actually calls the white, the white wolf and asks for that help. And asking very for help important. is always the key. Always. Yes. Mm-hmm. Always. It's very key that he's, A, that he's making the ask. But it's also, again, getting with his empathy. He is back in tune with that energy. So he's seeking that permission. He's not trying to order the wolves. Right. Um, yes. And it's shown again, the wolves take him and the other specters back through that force walk to where they had originally started out. Ezra, on that journey, experiences some memories, mostly of Kanan, um, showing that his pain is still very near the surface. He's in very close contact with his emotions, searching his feelings. Um, as they infiltrate the Imperial archaeological site that the temple it's pretty easy for some reason the Empire still just doesn't know how to do security um, <laughs> they don't need that. so they've got death troopers they don't need security <laughs> and here we are everyone uh, fans of Clone Wars will definitely remember the mortis arc that we referred to a minute ago and the ones these three ancient force wielders and these three prominent figures in the temple's mural painting mm-hmm. standing tall above Ezra and Sabine these figures are in fact the key the father the daughter and the son mm-hmm. Sabine figures out how the painting would open up the temple Ezra definitely not questioning her reasoning follows her intuition 
And artists, as is our way, are leading the way to a glorious revolution to freedom. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love this. I so, love the art part that she can just interpret it. She's like, oh, yeah. But it's not just her. And we'll, like, cover this in the Sabine episode. But to be fair, it's not just Sabine alone, which is also very, very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot of different people appreciate art. I mean, the Imperial stooge that's here does appreciate the art he's trying to interpret it as best he can he just doesn't have the same tool set that sabine is working with he doesn't have a jedi there to be like ah yes the modus arc and yeah and we'll talk we'll talk about that in the other episode anders did you have another point before colleen gets back to kanan's words uh no i think think okay so colleen why don't you tell us about canaan's words here to ezra yep those words they come back to ezra advising him to listen always be listening (laughs) listen to the stone and hear its story canaan knew that his student's greatest skill was this heightened ability to understand and share the feelings of others and the temple's no different he just needs to understand what the temple is trying to tell him so ezra closes his eyes reaches out with the light side of the force very important here connecting, touching the daughter's the picture, the painted mural picture of the daughter's hand. And this activates the temple. He activates the daughter's portrait and she moves. And then this activates the father's portrait, which comes to life and moves and points towards the son's image. The loath wolves that are also in the painting start kind of like moving around. They look at Ezra like, hmm. It's so beautiful. Kind of like the yes. Cerberus once again, kind of looking to see who's trying to access this place. And then they run away, like the painting just gets up and runs away (laughs) across the stone wall. Ezra, of course, he follows his intuition here. He follows it. And he narrowly escapes by diving through this portal that the wolf images are creating. They are kind of running in a circle around the temple wall. And of course, Ezra just dives right in. Like it's freaking going through platform nine and three quarters. He just doesn't (laughs) hesitate, just goes right through. Goes right through. He's trusting those instincts, and just the animation in that sequence is so cool. Like the the paintings and stuff almost have like a stop motion feel mm-hmm. to them. They're a little jerky, which is yeah. really interesting. Um, like the very first Nickelodeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to kind of get your guys' opinion on this. You know, Sarah as an artist, Colleen as a writer. Like this, I noticed that this on my last rewatch. This kind of metaphor that of what's happening here and that is Ezra is engaging with art physically to basically use it as a portal across space and time mm-hmm. given that access to the world between worlds I was just kind of wondering your guys' thoughts on that on that concept I'll let Sarah handle the art aspect I can jump in <laughs> on the story yeah so I mean it's just ingrained in our history I can't remember off the top of my head, but the very first at least discovered piece of artwork had to deal with red circles on a cave wall. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of Ezra or the viewers or force wielders or maybe non-force wielders, we don't quite know, at least it has to be a force wielder so far, is able to traverse into a planet that seems to almost be a way station, a recognition for empathy above all else in Ezra. It's, it's very, very fascinating. I mean, cave paintings are supposed to tell you a story 
as you traverse it. So the fact that there is a kinetic element that, you know, we also see in Harry Potter or other kinds of <laughs> magically inclined worlds, it is so visually appealing and part of the reason why paintings turned into television because we love we love as many different ways to consume and absorb and be absorbed by stories that this is just one of the most literal ways someone could be absorbed by a story and i i love it i love it i i think it's worth a pod all in its own Oh, definitely. Cool. Definitely the art of Star Wars, <laughs> for sure. Coming at it from the writer's standpoint, this is the, the omnipotence kind of and the never-ending nature of stories, just because we still have everyone using the hero's journey or everyone using the romantic comedy. Things like this, the tropes stick because they are a universal language, basically, now. They're part of our bedrock, and that's why stories like Star Wars are so successful because it gives you this kind of template that people are used to but then builds upon it giving you people who are like more gray not necessarily the fantastic perfect main protagonist and that's Ezra he's flawed he's complicated he is, his story is interesting because he has these struggles if he was like fine with Kanan sacrificing himself and then it's like yep let's just go to Lothal and take everybody back nothing's wrong <laughs> that would not resonate it wouldn't make sense yeah. and yeah. telling the story through art also is just huge people before even a written language people were communicating using art or just verbal storytelling exactly, exactly. I think that's a lot of this Mortis stuff comes from a lot of verbal storytelling because it didn't seem like a ton of people knew a lot about the no, they had the they had there were some records in like the the Jedi archives mm -hmm. and Sabine recognizes them pretty quick as archetypes yes yeah the archetypal nature mm -hmm. of the stories and the story elements is huge so yeah I find it I find it bittersweet though that this entry into the world between worlds did ultimately collapse speaking mm -hmm. of this like idea of mm -hmm. always never ending well technically at least this means of getting in and out did end which mm -hmm. is atypical so maybe at least for lethal it was kind of a one use only kind of portal um which i don't know like be that destruct yeah, be, yeah. Th be that as it may um the sun, the sun at is least self-destruct yeah i i sense. I find that to be sad though, but I understand. Yes. But at least before we get to that point, we're mm. still imagining that we're about to enter it. And so once inside, Ezra gains full entry into the world between worlds. Mm -hmm. And while he has touched this world a few times throughout the series, he gains full power over it here. He has mm -hmm. true unlimited power. And I'd like to say, don't we all, if only we have a chance to recognize it. Mm -hmm. This is true. Symbolically, yes. Like, ooh, Ezra. Everything kind of turns on Ezra's choices in these last couple episodes here. We'll yeah. go over that a little bit later because we have to get even deeper into this. But upon entering the world between worlds, he hears numerous voices, including Yoda, 
Obi-Wan, and Kanan. Ezra's surrounded by these very luminous white paths, just like in total darkness. It looks like total darkness, stars a little bit, but then these really white luminous paths that he can- I walk. think it's actually Mario Kart's Rainbow Bridge Road before the panels were laid down is actually yeah, what it I think it's like the Star Wars. It's like the Star Wars version of an Escher painting. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> like you can go freaking anywhere and it only matters how you think about how you're going along. Along with the paths are these kind of doorways. These kind of little intricate doorways. Yeah, I wonder where passes. they go. And most of them are dark. He Even when he passes them, they don't kind of come to life. He can still hear voices and stuff. And so Ezra's kind of walking along in here. He has no idea what he's doing in here. He doesn't know what to do. But then we get Morai, this kind of owl-like spirit guide. This is the daughter's symbol in her yep. spirit guide. She shows up. And brings Ezra to a portal that's shaped kind of like the Deathly Hallows symbol. So another whole power over life and death situation happening here. This time the portal shows something. It shows Ezra, Ahsoka, fighting with Vader on Malachor back from the season two finale. What a head trip for Ezra. Like, who yeah. doorway to the past. And I'm sure Ezra's just saying, like, what is happening? Like, how, what is even going on? So then noticing that Vader is about to strike Ahsoka down, Ezra pulls her through the veil, like pulls her bodily through the portal, through the veil, altering her fate ostensibly because she most likely would have died here. Hi, hi, Duncan. Welcome back. <laughs> so Ezra's like, and Ahsoka are kind of knocked out for a little bit after he does this. There's kind of some residual energy that's happening when he does this. And when they wake up, Ahsoka kind of theorizes that the world between worlds is where they are, or that this is a world between worlds, and that Kanan's will is speaking through the Force. And then, of course, Ezra, our dear sweet, sweet Ezra, he thinks that Kanan has sent him on this journey. And so things are starting to click in his head, and he's like, I could save Ahsoka. Click, 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 all these other neurons are firing so he's he starting to get off. a harry potter complex all of a sudden oh, yes yep yep he hurries off to find another portal but this also this moment gives us like that final payoff on the um the twilight of the apprentice we were talking about that last episode mm -hmm. sarah you were talking about that last shot of ahsoka and was that is that there just to kind of like kind of soften the blow of losing her or was this all planned from that beginning so we finally kind of find out what happened with that moment yeah and also actually Colleen I think it's funny because you said you know changes her fate um and Ahsoka or Ezra even actually says that like mm -hmm. if I changed your fate I can change other fates but, but given but did he actually change that fate? Was that always the way it was going to happen? Mm -hmm. Right. And now we're starting to get into time travel, yes. theory, theorizing and logic. And yep. I just like to throw up my hands and say string theory, and then that's it. I <laughs> will concur yes. with that. I will absolutely concur with string theory, Star mm -hmm. Wars. Make it work, people. Make it work. Yes. yes. I think a lot of things were put into motion to make sure that this happened. The daughter, daughter's hand is most likely, most definitely involved because she was flying around also at the end of Twilight of the Apprentice. She was. And we saw Ahsoka walk through the portal. We didn't see her get pulled through. So it's kind of like 
hinting that something was going to happen like that, but it's not exactly what happened. I think some things were definitely altered by Ezra's choices. And there are uh, the string theory thing, of course, like there are so many different pathways that this could have taken. Yep. And luckily this is what happened because we all would have been really sad if Ahsoka <laughs> never showed up again. So our poor boy Ezra. Mm. This time he hears Kanan's words echoing even more resolutely as he's running through this world, frantically searching for that place and time that's closest to his mental service, the moment where he lost his teacher and his father yeah. figure. But of course, being Star Wars and being the Force, it's really just another test, another temptation to see if he actually is worthy of having this access to the world between worlds. With shades of Anakin Skywalker, once again, reverberating through our minds, we watch Ezra say, quote, I can change things. I can stop Kanan from dying. Like, mm, my dude, no, <laughs> please don't do this. And as luckily, luckily he did save Ahsoka because she's there to beg him not to intervene. Yeah. She yeah. says, quote, Kanan gave his life so that you could live. If he's taken out of this moment, you all die. And Ezra is just horrified by these words. He wants so badly to reach in and pull Kanan away from the explosion. And he does kind of reach towards it, but he doesn't step through. And he has to watch his father figure die a second time. Like Now, do you, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. do you think that there's any way it could have worked? That Ezra could have saved Kanan? No. Colleen I mean, says because no. Kanan pushes you... them away from the explosion in the instant when he is basically killed. So if he's pulled away before he can do that, the explosion would take them all out. Okay. Like, would I would like to think them. that I would like to think that you know if, you, if they had sat there and thought about it for like five more minutes, they could have figured something out. Like we've got two force users here to yeah. add to Kanan's like blocking of this thing, so we can hold it back so that he can run. Yes, that's true. Something yes. like that. I mean, I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised that they actually didn't both jump out of the portal and do exactly what you're saying, Anders. Like, yeah. from a storytelling standpoint, from an impact standpoint, I think part of me would have been a little bit upset that they almost like cheapened the loss that I experience yes. every and that's, time I yes. watch. That's what that's Ahsoka's what... basically saying is like you would cheapen what he did for you. But like yeah. I'm and pretty it's, sure it's too Kanan, much of a risk. <laughs> well listen, if I'm Kanan, I'm gonna be like, no no, cheapen the loss. I wanna you had kiss control my gal. over space and time <laughs> and you didn't say cheapen me. the loss. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what the wolf told him to do. Well I think the I wolf was a fight and we can still fight yeah. with Kanan. All right. That's yeah. true. I mean, the Doom Wolf did say, though, that the temple, the world between worlds, was full of knowledge and destruction. Yeah. And I yes. think if he had pulled Kanan through at this moment, the temple would have been like, nope. Yeah. You're right, done. Right, yeah. Right, right, it would right, have said right, you made the wrong choice because that's how the Force works a lot of times. We get in this it. Universe. The temple is a yes. little bit fussy. We get oh, it. Yeah. Temple be fussy. Temple will be fussy. Oh, in that crumbling all over the place yeah, would have failed the yeah. test he, right. he learns in this moment what the force needed him to know that kanan found that one moment in time where he was most needed and he did what he had to do yep yeah mm -hmm. we get it, it yoda a, it's a it's a, it is a really beautiful sequence to watch <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i think it teaches that even 
if you could save somebody a lot of times if they don't want you to do that. It's kind of taking away Kanan's um, choice choices too. Yeah. And this Which will ultimately, yes. And this will ultimately be really important when Ezra has to make his third and final very difficult choice. Mm-hmm. So Ezra asks Ahsoka why things can't be different. Why can't we just go back to the way things were before? You know, he's talking about his parents and how much he wants to see them, which is going to definitely come back. We're reminding of Ezra's parents, and that's going to factor into Palpatine's endgame. And we do see um, Palpatine as in his full scarred Darth Sidious mm-hmm. attempting to break into the world between worlds. He knows that Ezra is in there, and so he thinks he has a way, a way in to gain this power. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka tells Ezra he has to close the portal, and as they're running away, she shields his escape. Mm-hmm. Sabine is waiting for Ezra outside the portal, um, and she's deduced that since the daughter opened the doorway, it's going to be the son that will close it. Classic. Um, and the, f- the father had been pointing that out. Mm-hmm. So probably for the first time we're actually a little glad that Ezra had these uh, run-ins with Maul to learn a little bit about the dark side with the mm-hmm. Sith Holocron. Finally you two join me, finally. You know, it took a while, <laughs> all right? <laughs> um, because <clears throat> to activate the sun, you can only access that by using that dark side of the force power. Mm-hmm. Ezra makes a fist, opens himself up to the dark, and the sun speaks to him, quote, the future by its nature can be changed. The temple collapses in on itself, burying the Imperials. Mm-hmm. Um, and by ignoring all of his selfish impulses to save Canaan, Ezra has ensured that the rebellion has that chance it needs to retake Lethal. Yep. And the white wolf lopes away from the destroyed but safe temple Ezra does kind of get to say his final goodbye to Kanan. But Palpatine <laughs> will not be stopped by one plucky little Padawan and a Jedi part-timer, Ooh, as we will see leading small. up to Ezra's final choice. Oh, Maul's such a dick. <laughs> I love when he calls Ahsoka part-timer. That's one of my favorite things. It's like, thanks. Thanks, Maul. Yep. It's all right. We're almost there. We are in the series penultimate episode. It's called A Fool's Hope. And Ezra's friends and associates are all gathering to help liberate Lothal. We have Rex Callus, who has turned to the rebellion side. We'll get to talk about Callus, I'm sure, at some point. Yep. Zago, Ryder Azadi, Jai Cal, Mart Matten, who is another younger person, younger pilot that they have recruited. And then fellow clone troopers Gregor and Wolf, Sabine's friend Ketsu Anyo, and of course, Hondo and his friend Melch. <laughs> I love Melch so much. Melch is so funny. <laughs> He's oh so God. funny. Hondo and Melch are fantastic. They can do no wrong. Yeah. What's interesting here is that Andrew's boy Hondo really comes in. He is coming yeah, in strong right. in these episodes. He says, quote, that boy, Ezra, has spirit. He reminds me of a time when there was something you could believe in. For that boy, there is nothing I would not do. Like, ah. right, that's my boy. <laughs> These words coming from this disreputable pirate are loaded with meaning. It shows just how much Ezra has influenced people's lives. 
just by being their friend or ally, being there for them. I love those. I always love the uh, that idea of like the the noble pirate or like the honorable pirate who like yeah they're ostensibly terrible people, um, but they believe in that code and they like. I love how you use the word ostensibly. No, 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 no. <laughs> they're terrible, but but are hilarious and wonderful wonderful charmers and they and they have they just embrace they just embrace freedom that's all there is right that's all all about freedom and believing in something that's (laughs) right they come through in the end that's all we really need yeah and what's hondo doing here he's coming through through and Mm -hmm. ezra is also coming through he receives a vision while meditating at that the intimidating grand admiral thron had been dispatched back to Lethal by the Emperor. What he doesn't know is that Palpatine has sent Thrawn to capture Ezra. So like season one, he was like, no big deal. Just, you know, let him fly away. This time he's like, that boy is a threat. I need me some of him. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. talks with Sabine about his vision and hears mm-hmm. the Lothwolves howling in the distance. While Sabine knows that Ezra has an affinity for animals, she asks him exactly what his connection with the wolves means. Good question. Ezra isn't sure, but he trusts that the connection will be there when they need it. He's learned to trust in his ability and the bonds he forms with others and not just animals. Mm -hmm. He's counting on everyone to stay on target and accomplish the goals necessary to take back Lethal. In one of the series' most spectacular sequences, Imperial forces attack the rebel base, forcing them back into caves. When asked where his army is, Ezra merely (laughs) smiles. Ooh, ignites his lightsaber. Yes, you do. And then shining (laughs) eyes emerge from the darkness behind him. The wolves ready to fight for Lethal. What up? Yes. What that up? Is such a cool moment in the series. It's also an amazing callback to um, season one with the yes. Fear Nox. Yes. Yes. And you've got them. It, earlier it was Ezra and Kanan and the Inquisitors coming in and you get the eyes mm-hmm. shining out. And then this time Kanan's still kind of by his side because he's got that wolf right yep. behind him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The force is always with you. Mm-hmm. And then, so from here, the rebels move in to take Capital City um, in order to infiltrate the domed Imperial headquarters. Ezra opens the finale. This is the series finale. He's speaking to his parents, um, saying he knows what he has to do. He says, quote, I want you to know that everything I've done and will do begin with you. His connection to his parents comes to that forefront in these episodes, mm. and Palpatine will use them to attempt to seduce Ezra into reopening the world between worlds. When Thrawn threatens to bombard the city with his Star Destroyer, the Chimera, Ezra knows what he has to do. He leaves his lightsaber with Chopper. Which is totally a Luke moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Gotta have, you know, you gotta have your droid buddy. Yes. Everything always comes with your droid buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has this amazing little exchange just with his eyes. They don't say anything with Sabine saying, you know, take the lead. I got to go do this. Mm-hmm. He willingly surrenders himself to Thrawn 
in order to discover what exactly it is the Grand Admiral wants. Thrawn tells Ezra that his actions were predictable as a Jedi, choosing morality over strategy. Ultimately, this will prove to be Thrawn's downfall. Not reeling Ezra isn't choosing morality, he's choosing his emotional ties. He's choosing his family. Mm-hmm. He tells Thrawn that the Force isn't a weapon, but you'll never understand that, which is such an interesting Maybe he concept, considering how we see it used, <laughs> how we see it used all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ezra's finally understood what Yoda wanted him to understand back in season one, his trial with Maul, the Sith holocron, and his guilt over Kanan's blinding have led up to this moment where he tells Thrawn the Force isn't about power, which of course Thrawn kind of fires back that adage of there is only power. Yep. It's like, oh, Thrawn, my dude, you're gonna find you're <laughs> gonna find out so much more about the Force in just a few minutes. Yes. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting though because. Thrawn has been this just overarching villain for seasons three and four. But right now, he really isn't Ezra's main concern. Right. Thrawn brings him to a hollow of Palpatine, who is disguised in this his former unblemished version of himself, this kind of grandfatherly role, the kind of same kind of thing he used to fool Anakin, basically. Like, you're pulling from the same playbook, Palpy, this might not work this time. <laughs> and he tempts Ezra with a possible future with his parents. Like if only, if only he just accessed the world between worlds just a little bit Oof. and leave the door open so that Palpatine could walk in. Quote, this is what you want, isn't it? Palpatine asks, the life you deserved. Mm, Sith so warning cool. bells going off all over the damn place. <laughs> so mean. <sighs> yes, Palpatine is basically telling Ezra here to seize the life he deserves, to abandon his friends and think of himself. And this has got Maul written all over it once again. Seize the power, seize the, power. Seize the knowledge. <laughs> and you have to think that Ezra's thinking this too, back in the back of his head somewhere is like, Maul said this, Maul said this, this is not good. <laughs> if only Ezra would take what he wanted, take the power for himself, he could live the life that he quote unquote deserves. But Ezra has learned way too much from his connections, like with the people who actually love him, (laughs) from letting himself know that love and trust in family. He's able to let the dream of his parents go, which is fucking heartbreaking. It seems so, so hard to serve his new family. And his parents see him do this, which is also wonderful. Like they see him. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mira of Erised. Mira of Erised just flying all over here. Mm. Instead, though, Ezra chooses to serve the galaxy. He destroys the gateway and tells Palpatine that he doesn't need anything from him. He passed the test that Anakin Skywalker failed, basically. And this was, so, I mean, we all love fantasy stories, sci-fi, all this stuff, and that recurring theme of the family you choose is, permeates throughout almost all of them. And I was actually thinking, has it ever really been this explicit of a thing where you are actually choosing them over, over your chosen family, over your given family, you are actually literally presented with that choice? I think some Sith apprentices are presented with that choice. I'm thinking of like one of the Bane books, I'm pretty sure 
he solicits someone and is just like, you could either stay with your family and die or come with me and fly away and like figure this shit out. Like, mm, let's go. Yeah, that's his apprentice, I think, in there. I could, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that at least that more perverse portrayal of choice has been offered. Because, yeah. on fun fact, the Jedi Council don't give younglings a choice. What? <laughs> yeah, they're... They do That's give... A... Do they give the parents a choice? They do, but they're pretty... Encouraging about it. Imagine. No, 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 Anders. Imagine (laughs) for a moment if someone knocked on your door and was like, um, yeah, so your nephew is really force sensitive. I mean, like, like wizarding level force sensitive. And I think we need to handle this. And like, you've heard of us, like, Flash is bad. Would you be like, (laughs) yeah, no problem? Like, Here's it's my, an interesting. Here's my three-year-old. <laughs> or yeah. my it's baby. an interesting paradigm. That's yes. for sure. It comes up in Outbound Flight, which I won't rant about Outbound Flight too much because I could go on about that for hours. Yeah. Where they kind of recruit these families where they know that the children might have forces sensitivity. Okay. And mm-hmm. then once they're far away enough from like Coruscant and the core the lead Jedi is basically like, congratulations, your kids are force sensitive. We will now be taking them from you. <laughs> okay. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, he, mm, I can well, go a long time about that guy. Oof. Well, before we get too much afield on that tangent, what happens with Ezra's yes. end game? Because Ezra here, wasn't y'all. taken when he was younger. He was not. He was not. Another proof that you don't have to be a freaking baby in order to be trained in the force and become a Jedi. Yeah. You only have to be so, the most empathic individual in the galaxy. That's I mean, all. That's, yeah. That's helpful. You know, that's that all. Really helpful. <laughs> and to have an empathetic teacher also. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so here we go. Ezra's endgame now is put into motion now that he has decided not to go with his family, his parents. Knowing he would need a backup plan just in case Thrawn captured him. He's like, Thrawn's going to fucking capture me. We need to have some backup here. Ezra actually instructed his friend, Mart Matten, to use a little-known frequency to call in some aid. A little bit of help. As Ezra races through the Chimera and reaches the bridge, he tells Thrawn that he's lost. Like, big, big energy right here from Ezra. Being like, dude, you have lost and you don't even know it yet. And we hear that sweet, sweet space whale song. <laughs> They're back. They're back. Re-enter the Pergil. Yes. Thank God for that filler episode. <laughs> All the way back. I, I love everyone's reactions when they see them, too. Everyone's just like... Them? Again? That, is that Ezra? Like, it, it's got to be, right? <laughs> yeah, every Must single be. person is like... <laughs> Ezra's plan. Yep, this has got Ezra written all over it. Oh, so Ezra's. Oh man, I just I love this scene so much. Yeah, deep connection with these creatures just from season two comes back with a vengeance here. Like, yes, yes, here come the giant freaking space whales, and the purple actually destroy. Like they destroy Thrawn's support fleet that's still up in orbit because he's calling them. He's like. We'll call Pelion and see what's going on. And they're like, uh. They're gone. <laughs> all of the ships are gone. The entire blockade is like gone. I'm hoping Pelion's not dead because I enjoy his character also. But for this intents and purposes, it's like the Chimera is left. 
which is Thrawn's flagship. And that's like the only thing that's left, surrounded by all these glorious whales. So I guess Hera was right about the Purgles. <laughs> she definitely was in this aspect, which Thrawn is unfortunately just learning of now. They eventually surround the Chimera. They're drawn by Ezra and his energy. I'm sure that Ezra's just putting out a ton of like force yeah. energy at this point, just like yeah. the cats. The cats were drawn to him. Now the Purgle are finally drawn to him. Like, danger, danger. Ezra's in danger. <laughs> Gotta go save him. And they start breaking into the Chimera. Thrawn threatens Ezra that, quote, whatever happens next happens to both of us, which I'm like, yes, let's get to that show now. <laughs> but here, this is Ezra, Ezra's counting on this. He kind of knew that he would be trapped here also. His final challenge wasn't only confronting Palpatine. It was sacrificing himself for the rebellion and for Lothal. So then this, the biggest, biggest, baddest alpha Pergil wraps its tentacles around Thrawn and the Chimera. Like it's holding Thrawn in place. It's like threading its tentacles all throughout the Chimera. Ezra yep. still has to hold Thrawn in place. Like Thrawn is a strong dude and he's resourceful and knows how to get out of it. Great yes, he well. is. So Ezra still has to hold him in place. Ugh. He has to take Thrawn off the board, basically. He knows he has to do this, or the Empire would have a chance of winning and beating the, the Rebellion. And of course, Hera is like, please don't do this, Ezra, come back. And Ezra tells her, quote, I have to see this through to the end. And as our sweet force theme music plays in the background, Ezra tells his friends and family, quote, it's up to all of you now, and remember, the force will be with you always. And that's when the Purgle's tentacles light up with the hyperspace energy and they jump to hyperspace, dragging the entire ship, the entire Chimera ship, Thrawn and Ezra with them. Yeah. Such, it's such an amazing sequence. It's the, it's got everything. It's got like nature fighting back. It's, you know, Ezra getting this like big final payoff. Mm -hmm. Ezra, gets Ezra gets shot. Ezra gets shot and shocked. he still just like throws Thrawn back afterwards. Mm -hmm. but, so not to take away from the seriousness of this moment, but I did notice last time Ezra totally just looks like he's surfing in this scene. He's got like the one arm here, <laughs> the one out to the side, <laughs> sitting directly in the middle of the bridge. Yes. Mm -hmm. He kind <laughs> of is surfing. surfing yeah. is, he kind of is surfing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure, for sure. So, so we realized that Ezra was ready to give himself up if it meant the Rebellion had the chance to retake his home planet. Mm-hmm. He left a hollow recording for his family where he says, quote, there were several paths in front of me. Well, this isn't the one I wanted to take. It's what I had to do. It's something Kanan taught me. I'm going to miss you all. Ooh. Very, very different from that lonely, isolated boy we met back in season one. Mm. Ezra has grown into his role as a protector, willing to give up his own safety for everyone else. Yep. And this is what the Loth Wolves saw in him. The leader must be able to make tough choices and keep everyone else safe. Yep. We're left with Ezra's last words as the Spectres and the other rebels continue their fight. Mm. Says, I couldn't have wished for a better family. I can't wait to come home. So sweet. <laughs> so, so sweet. Oh, I just watched these episodes a little while ago and whew. Mm. So it's fine. Sweet. I'm fine. Still won't cry. It's it's coming, but I won't. <laughs> so now that we're done kind of looking at the connections through the poem, we'll do our little kind of conclusion here before yep. we can get into Master and Apprentice for next week. 
One of my chief fascinations when analyzing literature, movies, TV shows, is to pay attention to character names. Yes. Seriously, I have a, a big thing with this. I loved Harry Potter because I was like, Lupin, <laughs> that's a wolf. Sirius Black, that's the black dog. I was like, <laughs> just because of the names, I was like, I see you, JK. I know what yeah. you're doing here. Yeah. And this is the etymology, kind of the studying of the language of names, interpreting the name meanings. It doesn't apply to everything like some characters' names are just like Bob. <laughs> it's not necessarily <laughs> a lot you can get there. But it's really present in Rebels, especially with Ezra. His last name's obvious, Bridger. Like he builds bridges, he bridges gaps, he unites opposite sides. But his first name also has a lot of meaning to it. Ezra means help in Hebrew. So it's like help bridge, <laughs> help build bridges, yay. And then the book of Ezra in the Bible is also like about the power of forgiveness and perseverance. So the show creators weren't messing around when they were choosing names for their lead protagonist. While he came off as brash and selfish at first, Ezra's true calling was to be that connector, to be that empathizer, and ultimately to unify people. His ability to connect with his family, with allies, and animals, of course, as we just saw, ensured his place among the most powerful of the Jedi. Not just powerful in the Force, either, and though he was, he was arguably pretty powerful in order to call all of these Pergil to him. Yep. And we've yeah. talked about this a little bit before, how he doesn't have the same name recognition yet, yet, I hope, as Luke or Anakin Skywalker, but he still has his own place, like, in the Jedi canon. He's accomplished at connecting with people, with creatures. He's able to balance the light and the dark sides of the Force when he opened and closed the portal of the world between worlds. I don't know of a lot of other Jedi who could do that. Luke is on that list. I think yeah, Luke could could've. probably do it eventually. But not and a can probably could have done it yes, pre-Sith pre days. <laughs> if he had some more control, I think he definitely yeah. could have. But also without this innate ability to put himself in other beings' circumstances, Ezra might not have trusted Maul in that instance, and he wouldn't have learned how to use the dark side. Coming back right. to you, Sarah, Maul was necessary. <laughs> Maul was a very necessary teacher for Ezra. Yeah, who's to say Ezra isn't building bridges between the dark side and the light? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the son spoke to him in the temple also. Yep. I think that's why he was able to hear the son, because he has built this kind of bridge between daughter, father, son. He's got street cred with the dark mm -hmm. side. He's fine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And without Ezra's innate like yearning for connection, he might not have been able to win in the final battle. Right. Mm -hmm. As the Pergil like readily answered his plea for help. They were there just like on the spot. Like, oh, our boy, our boy's calling for help. We're coming in, we're coming in hot. Like eventually in the long run, Ezra teaches us that there's always hope. So long as you're willing to connect with others, but also you have to be willing to let those people go as he does with Kenan when the greater good demands it. Without Ezra's sacrifice, Thrawn would have stayed in the emperor's service and his TIE Defender program probably would have ended the rebellion, most likely. The Death Star wasn't going to do it, but those TIE defenders probably would have decimated the rebel fleets. Kanan taught him to seize the moment where he was most needed, not seize the power, not seize the knowledge, seize that moment where you're most needed, and Ezra did. Ezra walked through those three stages of the Lothal poem, still not going to cry, it's fine. Lothrat, Lothcat, <laughs> and Lothwolf. He chose his path, and all was done. Uh -huh. And 
to kind of do concluding <laughs> remarks, that was absolutely beautiful, Colleen. Your essay that ended up being a three-part, sort of four-part uh, episode is a Holocon repo repository of information to be absolutely sure. <laughs> And so let's end on some concluding remarks about Colleen's work. And then next time we can finally dive into our mailbag master and apprentice questions. How about we start with you, Colleen, since this was your baby first and foremost. Oh, it was my baby. This is the first one, first long piece that I wrote about Star Wars, besides all of our podcasts that we did. I'm just really happy that I'm able to share it with people. I mean, that's what a writer and an artist wants to do. Is yep. to be able to create something and then have people read it and either appreciate it or be like, no, that's shit. But at least somebody, <laughs> at least somebody yep. read it and or saw it. Like, yeah, considered just it. it out there. Yep. Yeah. My chief love, like this is what I was trained to do. I have my master's in English. So all I ever really want to do is analyze literature and entertainment yeah. <laughs> that I enjoy. And it's just an honor to be able to be here with you too, also to be able to talk about it with people who know what's going on and are like, yes, I can engage with this. And I hope that other people are able to engage with it also. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Anders? And I mean, yeah, it's an honor to go through this with both of you. And I think that Colleen, this, this whole essay, I think is a real testament to your abilities, your analytical skills, as well as your writing. And also a bit of a testament to Filoni's plumbing abilities that there is so much there to discover. Mm -hmm. If you if you are willing to do that deep of a dive, that you will always be able to uncover those things. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yes, all the snaps to Dave Filoni and yeah. his storytelling team. Just <laughs> damn tour de force. Yep. I was I was very impressed to see it kind of all spelled out and synthesized and. It was always, it'll always probably something that I tease you about the lengths and the lengths that you go to with your Star Wars love. And so it was very nice to be able to really explore one of the best characters truly from an empathetic standpoint. And so I'm sure that if you're listening to us now, Hopefully you have a deeper appreciation for Ezra Bridger, but you probably came here to us with at least that baseline understanding. So if you have additional questions before next week, shoot us an email. But I think that's probably where we'll leave everyone uh, for today. So stay tuned next week for part four, the finale of our Ezra deep dive, where we explore the amazing questions many of you have sent us about Ezra Bridger, which literally meant it was worth its own separate segment <laughs> so that we kept mm -hmm. it at least somewhat reasonable, um, including a couple of our own questions. Now, remember, if you prefer to enjoy us in our podcast format, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or frankly, wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to find us. And in the meantime, please help us grow by heading over to our YouTube channel and subscribing and frankly telling other nerdy knights to join us because it really does help. Thank you for joining us today and we'll be seeing you next time. If you have questions or theories about anything we've discussed or should be discussing, hit us up on Instagram at Bohemian Geek Studies, tweet at us at Geek Studies or email us at bohemiangeekstudies at gmail. Dot com and until next time lightsabers up and keep those episodes streaming bye everyone <laughs> <laughs>